Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. Now on Sunday morning we're looking at the minor prophets. We're not looking at the minor prophets on Sunday nights. Jeremiah is a major prophet. And why is he a major prophet? Is it because he's more important than the minor prophets? Yes or no? No. It's because he's longer. Remember, he's the Baptist version. The minor prophets are the Methodist version. You remember that from this morning, some of you? Guess not. (laughs) Jeremiah. Jeremiah preached to the southern kingdom. Remember that somewhere in the early 900s, when God established Israel as a nation, there was one nation. Their first king was Saul. He reigned 40 years. He was followed by David, who reigned 40 years. He was followed by his son Solomon, who reigned 40 years. When Solomon died, Rehoboam became king of Israel for a short time. But because he uh, taxed the people even more heavily than his father, the nation split into two. And so now you have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And it continued that way until the 700s, at about 722 B.C., the empire of Assyria came into the northern kingdom of Israel. You had people like Isaiah prophesying. You had people like Hosea prophesying and some others. But the northern kingdom is wiped off the map. And so now you have Judah. And from 722 down to about 586 B.C., you have the southern kingdom of Judah. And Jeremiah preached to the southern kingdom of Judah. Along about the late 600s, the early 500s. And Jeremiah was present in Jerusalem, which was the capital of Judah. Jeremiah was present there in the year 587, 586, when the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem and took away the people, most of the people, into Babylonian captivity. They did not take Jeremiah. They left him there. And a group of people then took Jeremiah down to Egypt, and we don't hear from Jeremiah anymore. But for 50 years, up until the middle 580s B.C., for 50 years, Jeremiah preached and begged the people to turn back to God. And with little success. I've said before that uh, Jeremiah preached for 50 years, even though every single service, when they'd get up to sing the Just As I Am invitation, nobody came forward for 50 years. It seemed that way to him because nobody wanted to respond. The passage we're looking at tonight is Jeremiah chapter 4. And in that chapter, Jeremiah deals with two aspects of a hot wind. The title of this message is Hot Air for a Bunch of Hot Air. Jeremiah chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, we'll read selected verses. If you will return to me, O Israel, return to me, declares the Lord. If you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will be blessed by him, and in him they will glory. This is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. 
circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you men of Judah and people of Jerusalem, or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. Skip to verse 11. At that time, this people in Jerusalem will be told this. A scorching wind from the barren heights in the desert blows toward my people, but not to winnow or cleanse. A wind too strong for that comes from me. Now I pronounce my judgments against them. I'll skip to verse 22. My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. I looked at the earth and it was formless and empty and at the heavens and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. I looked and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked and the fruitful land was a desert. All its towns lay in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. This is what the Lord says. The whole land will be ruined, though I will not destroy it completely. Therefore, the earth will mourn and the heavens above grow dark. Because I have spoken and I will not relent. I have decided and I will not turn back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of your word. We even thank you for those parts that are right up in our faces, confronting us with who we are, what we've done, and yet loving us with a love that, as Hosea pointed out this morning, is so radical. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear what Jeremiah is saying to us tonight about commitment. And as we study his words, help us to measure and evaluate our own commitments to you. And help us also to hear what you promise to do about the level of our commitment. Lord, give us something to chew on, something to think about. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two facets in this passage of Scripture that have to do with hot air, a hot wind. And the first one is one that is not very explicit. It's not very clear, and yet it is there. If you go to the last part of the passage that I read to you, you'll find Jeremiah doing two things. First, he is predicting what the land will look like after Babylon invades invades Jerusalem. He says in verse 23, I looked at the earth, it was formless and empty. He looks at verse 25, he says, I looked and there were no people. 
Verse 26, I looked and the fruitful land was a desert. All of its towns lay in ruin before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Verse 27, this is what the Lord says, the whole land will be ruined. He is predicting what the place will look like after Babylon has destroyed it. But he's doing more than that. He's not just describing what it will look like. He's describing it. He's describing what it already looks like in the hearts and minds of his people. He is evaluating their commitment to him. And here's what he's finding. He's finding that their commitment, the shape and the condition of their hearts and their minds, is now in the terrible ruins that the city of Jerusalem will be in after Babylon strikes. In other words... And this is the first point I want to make of three points from this passage. The the, the point I want to make is this. The commitment of God's people, of you and me, can often become nothing but hot air. I looked and there were no people. There were no birds flying. The fruitful land was a desert. It lay in ruins. The whole land is ruined. The earth was mourning. The heavens were growing dark. He's describing what it's going to look like, but he's also describing what it already looks like in their hearts. Their commitment is nothing but a bunch of hot air. And so as I read what he is, the words he's using to describe their level of commitment, I I want to apply those words to my own life and measure my own commitment. How deep is my own commitment? On a scale of one to ten, don't say it out loud, but on a scale of one to ten, measure your commitment. Just go ahead and do it right now. I'll wait for you. On a scale of 1 to 10. You got a number there? If you have a number, nod. If you don't have a number yet, go. And I'll wait a little longer. Pick a number. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your commitment level? Okay? Now, hold on to that number. And then let me ask you this. What should your commitment level be? Be and, and, and I'm not expecting your personal commitment level to be less than it should be or more. I, I, I'm not making a judgment on that, but I'm asking you, what is your personal commitment level on a scale of 1 to 10? And what should it be realistically right now? And is there a gap there? Is there anyone who, as I find myself from time to time, Talking the talk, but not walking the walk. The talk of my commitment is higher than the actual walking level of my commitment. God says, you with your voices, you claim to be close to me, but with your hearts, you're so far from me. I look in your hearts And it looks like the temple's been destroyed. It looks like the fruitful land is a desert. It looks like there's no bird flying there. It looks like there's no life there. What is your commitment level? It is possible 
for the commitment of God's people to become nothing more than hot air. A lot of words. Now the second thing I want you to notice from this is that God waits for true commitment. What does God want from the Jimmy Orr's and the Mindy Miller's and the Doug Banks's and the Peggy Woodall's? What does is, what is God want from the Callies and the Emilys and the Jeremiah's and the Walters and the Laytons? He wants true commitment from us, not just words. Now, you can tell me something, and I'm not smart enough to know whether or not there are any calories to the words that you're saying to me. I'm not smart enough to know that. But God knows the, the gap, the difference between the words that are your commitment versus your actual commitment. Now, there are some pretty tangible ways that we can measure commitment. Uh, some of them are really personal. I mean, we can measure actual commitment by our giving. That's a, that's a very personal, sometimes offensive way of measuring commitment, isn't it? Isn't it? Especially in a time such as, such as these. But it is one way, isn't it? That we can measure our commitment. Did you know about one out of every five persons in our church gives to the church? It's between one out of five and one out of four. I'm talking about gives anything. Hello? Anything. Percentage of tithers is less than that. Giving is one way. Now, Jeremiah doesn't touch on giving. I just thought I'd throw that out to you to make all of you happy before you leave here today, right? (laughs) But it is one tangible measure of our commitment. There are others, our prayer lives, our time spent in the Word, our time in fellowship with other Christians, our time, uh, the, the, the level of our witness, the integrity of our witness with others, where, whether it's school or at work or wherever we are. But there is, this, there is this truth that so often, more often than I want to admit, my commitment is nothing more than words, which, which basically means this, it's nothing more than hot air. Even though God is, is seeking true Deep in the gut commitment from us, not just words, but actual commitment. Commitment that goes beyond the four walls of this sanctuary and actually penetrates the classroom and penetrates the assembly line and penetrates the home and penetrates the family. So what is the level of your commitment? Is your commitment going outside these walls? And the third thing that we see in this passage is that the time will come when God will give to His people what they, we, have given to Him. Now that's a scary thought. Think about that. God gives to you what you give 
to him. Now, that's not the way it starts out. It starts out with God giving a whole lot more to you and me than we could possibly give to him in return. That's grace, actually. But there comes a time when God, after, after long, long time and long, long seeking and long, long reaching out to us and giving and giving and giving with only getting hot air in return, there comes a time when God will give to us what we give to him. Now, for instance, in this passage of Scripture, God looks at the commitment level of the people of Judah and he sees that it is just a bunch of hot air. Uh, It's easy to talk religious talk, ladies and gentlemen. We can do that all day long. But it's when our talk really gets in our shoes that commitment sinks down deep. But God was looking at their commitment level and it was nothing but hot air. And so what does he say in verse 11? Because of their hot air, Their empty commitment, he says in verse 11, there will come a time when Jerusalem will be told a scorching wind from the barren heights in the desert blows toward my people, but not to winnow and to cleanse, a wind too strong for that comes from me, God says. In other words, there's a hot air coming from God. God has been getting what from his people? Hot air. Say it. What has he been getting from his people? So what is he going to give them in return? Hot air. Hot air for a bunch of hot air. Now, again, measure your commitment level and ask yourself this. Do I want God giving me what I have been giving him? You say, well... Jimmy, I'm not so sure that that's the way God works. I'm not so sure that God gives to us what we give to him. Let me, uh, let me carry you to the New Testament. This won't be on the slide, but this, these are Jesus' words in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Listen to this. Uh, he's talking here about judging and not judging, but the whole principle of God giving to us what we give to him is certainly present here. He says in Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 37, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Don't judge, and you won't be judged. I'll give you what you get. Or I'll give you what you give. Don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Judge and what? You will be judged. Condemn and you will be condemned. If you don't forgive, what? You won't be forgiven. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. Do you see that? God gives to us what we give to him. And God gives to us what we give to others. Now, if if your commitment has been substantive, that is, it's more than just empty promises. It's real, get in the boots, put it in your shoes, 
going out and being the Christian God wants you to be, the light in a world of darkness, if your commitment is real, then God will give you real blessing. Some of the things may not appear to be his blessing, but, but, but he, will, he, will, he will honor that commitment. On the other hand, if, if my commitment is nothing more than a bunch of hot air, God says in Jeremiah, I'm going to give you hot air. If your commitment prompts you to forgive, you'll be forgiven. If your commitment prompts you to be hypercritical of other people, constantly finding fault in other people, then God says, I will find fault in you. And it won't be quite so hard. You hear what I'm saying? What is your commitment level? And are you ready for God to give you the same? That's the question. Because in everybody's life, and I don't know exactly when it will occur, but in everybody's life, there comes a time, according to Scripture, Old and New Testament, in everybody's life, there comes a time when what you and I give to Him is what He will give to us. So do you want what you've been giving? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, never thought about you being full of hot air before. But Lord, this morning we looked at your love and we saw how, from a human perspective, how foolish it was because it's so radical and yet we're the recipient of that foolish love and so we're very grateful. But Lord, in this passage, you were bringing a bunch of hot air to the people of Judah, but it was only because that's what they were giving you. And I can't help but wonder, Lord, as I... As I step up on the scales to see how heavy is my commitment, I can't help but wonder if I'm only offering to you hot air. Lord, I don't want you to give me what I've been giving you. God, I pray that we... that we would strengthen our commitment to you here tonight. Lord, I pray that we would all search our hearts, each one of us, our own hearts, not somebody else's, our own hearts. Am I saved? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? Have I invited him into my life? Lord, I pray for somebody who's lost to be saved here tonight. I pray for those who've been saved. Lord, there are decisions that we need to make. There are people right here tonight who need to make decisions about joining a church, about being baptized, about getting serious with you. Because, Lord, 
there's more people than just me in this building who've just been blowing a lot of hot air. Lord, I pray that we would rededicate our lives to you in a real commitment. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.